Welcome to another episode of Paul on Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Palt, and today I've got John Young. He's the uh, CEO of Greensmith Energy Management Systems. They're a uh, provider of energy storage technologies and solutions uh, in a, uh, using battery agnostic technologies. And so uh, we're going to talk about the uh, current state of the market in storage technologies, especially at the grid level, and the various strategies that are being developed that are uh, going to address this marketplace that is still in its uh, growing infancy and development. So, hi, John. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure is ours. Well, you're a friend of the show. You were here about a year ago and talked about the state of the smart grid then, so it's very appropriate that you come back at this point and we can talk about the state of the storage market, which is going to be a very significant part of the smart grid now. Yeah, it's a very uh, timely moment to be talking about some of those issues. And even in the span of one year, um, a lot of, of good things have happened. So uh, really, uh, really eager to, uh, to, to talk about some of those things today. Excellent. So uh, then from where you're standing, what is your view of the storage market? Yeah, I think it's at the uh, finally, right? It's, it, it always takes longer than, uh, than a lot of people hope or, or expect. But the energy storage market is finally, um, you know, at a point where there's a viable sort of growth and there's a viable level of, you know, sort of deployment and procurement of, of energy storage at the end of the day. So in other words, people are putting money where their mouth is, which is often a good economic test as to whether uh, these markets are viable. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is three, threefold. You know, one is I think over the last, five, ten years, a lot of organizations, whether they're regulated utilities or uh, private organizations, have gotten a good deal of positive experience doing pilots of various energy storage technologies and various batteries. So uh, I think that, you know, that sort of natural process that you see in any emerging industry has really, um, you know, delivered the goods in terms of uh, not just proving uh, energy storage uh, from a technology standpoint, uh, and also from a safety standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint. The second thing that's happened is the, um, the, the initial theory around the versatility of energy storage to address a lot of grid congestion and grid scale issues has actually, um, you know, been, been I, I, I suppose, proven out. In other words, uh, there was always a question of whether this approach was always the best to, uh, for instance, um, you know, provide support for grid stability or um, address uh, issues of intermittency as more renewables come onto the grid and, and, and create some problems there, um, or uh, just simply in terms of, you know, participating in markets like frequency regulation. So I think what, it, what energy storage has done as, as a second major, um, you know, shift is really proven that the technology does indeed uh, address these concerns and, and they address them on, on scale. And then the final thing that's happened is I think the combination of the economics on the cost side, um, inclusive of all the hardware that needs to go in, and then the economics on the customer side, which means how a customer actually makes money or solves a problem that they care about using energy storage, those lines have crossed as well, or at least have begun to for certain segments of the market. So, yeah, it's, it's a very exciting time in the market. Um, for instance, uh, California basically uh, finalized a legislative piece of uh, piece of law called AB 2514, which basically requires that uh, the grid operators uh, procure 
uh, is at minimum 1.325 gigawatts of energy storage by the year 2020. And that procurement target actually starts this year. Uh, so um, it's not unlike the RPS targets that I, I think some of your uh, some of your listeners are familiar with, where there was a requirement to have a minimum amount of uh, generation stem from so-called renewable sources, right, including wind and wind and solar. So um, so AB 2514 is is uh, in fact a law. And then what what you see, uh, just generally speaking, with uh, grid operators and also power developers is much larger projects and RPs that are hitting the street. One good example is one from Long Island Power Authority, LIPA, which was released last year, that basically represents a strategy to deploy a significant amount of energy storage, as, as, as much as over a gigawatt hour uh, on, uh, on Long Island as well. So that combined with uh, just a general um, kind of amount of activity uh, bodes very well for, you know, anyone that's really participating uh, in, in, in the energy storage market. Well, and, and I agree with you completely, John. But that's always been the way, hasn't it, when it comes to these technologies, is that people always balk at the initial costs, and then when they realize the cost of operation and the factors that go beyond simply that moment of energy at that one spot in time are, have ramifications that go far beyond that spot energy demand, these technologies eventually wind up making economic sense once they become mature and storage is getting to that point right now. Yeah, that's exactly right, Alex. So it's it's not unlike um, what term term as the Henderson uh, curve or the Henderson effect where, you know, basically you double the production of a thing and it generally reduces the, 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 the cost of the thing, right? And um, and, and so the major major cost component, of course, of intelligent energy storage systems was really around the batteries. And, um, and, and this is why um, it was so important uh, for my company, Greensmith, uh, to be battery agnostic because you just don't know sometimes where both innovations and cost improvements will come from. Will it come from, you know, the lithium-ion side of the, the world because they uh, benefit from, obviously, the, uh, the, uh, the adjacent industry called electric vehicles and the production ramp that that uh, supports? Or, you know, will it come from some kind of, you know, uh, flow battery? Will it come from some sort of sodium variant, um, et cetera? So, um, so I think from, from your observation, um, the way in which, uh, you know, I, I believe Greensmith looked at that issue is to have a, a, an open architecture that was battery agnostic so that we can take advantage of these cost improvements and not um, be straddled with a particular kind of battery, number one. And then um, what's more, our view has always been that uh, there was a huge gap between leading-edge components, including batteries and inverters, and how a customer actually gets value. And so we focused ourselves also on the numerator of the ROI, not just the denominator, by having software that allows people to pursue premium energy storage-type uh, opportunities and, and applications, and also have these systems be multitasking. So in other words, if you can get an energy storage system not only to do one thing like load shifting, but to do multiple things such as power quality, uh, intermittency uh, smoothing, um, uh, you know, even deferral of, of distribution feeder, if you, if you can pack all that punch into a single system, as long as you don't deplete the cycle life of a battery, you, want, you, you can have these systems as busy as possible. And that's how you get ROI. You, you not only get ROI, because of low cost or the denominator, uh, you get uh, high ROI because of also paying attention to the numerator in terms of what you do 
to get value from energy storage. Right, and again, I agree with you, John. You're completely right. The and it's and it's a ripple effect, isn't it? Because the other side of that coin is we put in the energy storage so we can manage the system, so we can squeeze the last penny out of our distribution. But bingo, it's also making it more stable, which increases productivity. Which you you know, it really then starts rippling outwards because that increased productivity turns into other things, which in some ways also increases demand, which increases revenues in some of these companies that are worried about losing revenue because of alternate energies, I think the money is shifting from energy production to energy management. And uh, as we go to a mixed environment of energy production and storage technologies, you're going to see a lot of the emphasis on uh, certain uh, market driven by the fuel realities and more driven by the fluidity of customer demand because if the web takes over things it also makes them kind of like the web. And if the, once the grid becomes more intelligent and more interactive with consumers, the future is inevitable. What do you think that's about exactly, that? That's exactly right, Alex. I think um, in, in, in the way we examine this post-World War II grid, right, which is a highly centralized, aged grid, right, a lot of the – if you take a look at the dates of when most of the equipment actually went in, it's right around 1974, 1975. Oddly enough, we're uh, exactly, uh, what, about 40 years from that? <laughs> and that's, that's oftentimes uh, what, what this equipment was rated in, in terms of uh, end of life. But having said that, I think the realities uh, of the, um, I suppose, the infeasibility of wholesale replacement of the grid, while at the same time you, you're not only having a, a creaking sort of infrastructure, uh, but you're also um, having challenges of the grid that was really designed to flow one way, electrons flowing one way, and now the electrons need to flow two ways. And, of course, the, uh, the, 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 the weakest uh, Achilles heel oftentimes for mo- most grid networks is along the edges as well. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to portray energy storage as necessarily the pa- you know, panacea or anything, but it is one of the first, I would say, um, uh, shall we say, um, sort of adaptive, versatile, appliances, right, right, sort of power equipment appliance that uh, if it's managed intelligently, not just individually, but also in fleet uh, of, of a growing sort of, you know, army of energy storage systems that are going to be uh, implemented across the, you know, across the grid network, uh, utilizing different battery technologies, solving different problems. But, uh, but, but doing so allows you to not only defer that kind of investment that you ultimately need. But it, it allows the existing grid assets that are there already today to actually perform better. And um, I guess that's another way of basically saying what you, what you said earlier. But I, I just wanted to um, give a little specificity on when you, when you view these things not as batteries in a box, but intelligent distributed computers that can communicate with each other, be integrated adjacent to other grid-scale assets, whether they're substations, whether it's a solar array, um, whether it's a distribution feeder uh, that's under attack because the, the local factory has changed uh, its, its demand patterns. Uh, energy storage is one of the only uh, solutions uh, that as long as it has the adequate intelligence and the software and the algorithms can really act as more than a Band-Aid. It can act as something that uh, enhances the existing grid infrastructure, um, not only in terms of longevity, but in terms of what it actually does to contribute value to, to the overall grid. 
Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed completely, Janet. I would love to keep discussing this all with you, but we unfortunately do have a time limit on the podcast. and so. But I always love to give my um, interviewee an opportunity to leave their uh, final thoughts, give, give them the last word with the audience. So what, as, as far as you were saying earlier about strategy, what would you say from where you're sitting, how you see this unfolding going forward? What, what, what are your final thoughts for now? I'm going to bring you back sooner than a year from now, by the way, so we can talk more about this. <laughs> Yeah, happy to do it. I, I, I just have three key thoughts on um, what this all means uh, and, and what, what it all means in, in particular to um, the strategies that uh, you know, customers need to think, be thinking about and also the, uh, the, the kind of response that the energy storage industry, which is uh, indeed and it's still in its infancy, uh, needs to bear in mind in order to you know, satisfy uh, the, the increasing demand. One thought is there's not enough focus on the intelligence. Uh, and, of course, Greensmith uh, is, is uh, a, a company that focuses almost exclusively on that, although we do deliver turnkey energy storage systems uh, where, um, you know, a, a customer just simply can discuss with us, you know, their issue, and we're able to design and deliver uh, systems that actually go into the grid and, and deliver value. But the focus mm-hmm. of the industry has to be increasingly on the software, the control, the integration, the intelligence, because, uh, you know, what, what we're talking about, and sometimes, you know, we, we, um, we, we kind of overuse words like smart grid, but what we're talking about is an age where we are trying to uh, imbue a greater amount of intelligence and efficiency and effectiveness into uh, all sorts of different assets, whether they're related to the electrical grid infrastructure or the transportation infrastructure or the energy infrastructure just in general. I mean, with with added intelligence, with a lot of computing, and by the way, you know, we, we um, you know, sometimes take for granted uh, the fact that computing costs and the storage of information is rapidly approaching zero. I mean, the, uh, mm-hmm. the way in which, you know, we as uh, participants in uh, industries like energy storage or any other, you know, sort of, uh, uh, sort of heavy-duty heavy industry can take advantage of those costs and, and those technologies coming from the computing world, uh, from cloud computing, from distributed computing, from uh, greater amounts of intelligence at an incredibly affordable rate, <laughs> I think is, is, is an incredibly important insight that everyone needs to factor in into their overall strategy. So number one, it's, it's really all about the software. It's all about the intelligence. Number two, what I would say is that um, I think the market is really becoming aware that uh, hardware, inclusive of batteries, is, uh, is a commoditized space where um, it's not easy to be successful. It requires a tremendous amount of capital. But once you get it right, you can actually compete. But it's a, it's a commoditization-type industry. And even in the lithium-ion industry today, where we've been um, – I mean, we, we've incorporated seven different battery types already into our systems. But if, if, we, if we focus on lithium-ion for a moment, you see how there's been rationalization of that space already with some of the announcements here in the United States of battery, uh, battery vendors um, that are either being sold off or, or, or shutting down. So I think it's important for uh, participants in particular of energy storage, whether you're on the equipment or hardware side or you're on the integration or, or software side, to understand uh, the way in which these dynamics play out in this industry that is trying to continue to uh, improve its overall cost structure and while at the same time lend itself to innovative new battery chemistries and uh, and constant innovation. So, so anyway, um, I think I think that uh, that's 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 the second thing 
that I would add is that added dimension of how these uh, industries unfold. The third thing is really um, an opportunity that I see over the next few years, not only to uh, put um, you know gigawatt hours worth of energy storage out there, but to really um, align the way the regulatory practices and rules, uh, along with uh, the way in which customers actually capture value, there in often markets there's a disconnect between those two things. In some cases, there isn't a disconnect. It's well aligned. But in other cases, there are. So it's almost like an artificial barrier to achieving value by participating in, uh, in, in opportunities like energy storage. So I believe that over the next several years, um, you know, beyond a procurement mandates like AB 2514, that a lot of people that govern the transmission backbone either nationally or from a state-specific standpoint will really um, continue to lend a hand to ensure there are no regulatory, um, you know, I would say discontinuities that uh, over time will uh, will eventually be uh, be 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 addressed, right? Uh, working very together with, uh, you know, with w- w- very closely together with industry and other. There's a tremendous organization called CISA um, here out in California that had a, a large part of uh, really focusing the attention on AB 2514 and and measures like that. So so anyway, I, I just see. This, this next period is not only an exciting one because, you know, there's more energy storage being deployed and sold and, uh, and enjoyed, but I, th- I think it's also going to be a period over the next half decade of where a lot of the rules and regulations that were perhaps meant for different kinds of behavior at a different time to be really uh, fixed and, uh, and aligned with, again, the, mm-hmm. the natural opportunity uh, to take advantage of leading-edge technologies in order to... Uh, to manage the grid, regardless of which side of the meter you happen to be on. Right, 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 right. Well, John, I am really glad you were able to come and give us those insights. And frankly, like I said, we're going to bring you back sooner than a year from now so we can continue this conversation because the smart grid is on everyone's minds. And uh, storage is such a multifaceted thing from time shifting to stability and all. And so I'm really glad you had the opportunity to come and chat on the show. Alex, uh, it was a pleasure as always. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, pleasure's ours. And like I said, we'll bring you back. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul on Power. Have a great day. <laughs>